BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Okay, do you know of a company that is in the Charlotte, North Carolina area with some interesting spots? For example, they've built several different TV shows around the ideas of invention for multiple different industries. Let me give you another hint. Maybe that you know this person who's also been responsible for not only creating their own patents, but also responsible for several hundred others. I'll keep going. What about somebody who's built a company that's responsible for all types of different projects, toys, products that we use in our everyday lives that you would have no idea who actually helped that inventor who had that idea bring it to pass. Hmm, not bringing any details yet. Let's keep going. So everything that you can think of for senior citizen care, for products that are good for the human body, uh, toys, products for babies, hmm, things like car seats. Yeah, even car seats. This person is responsible for helping people who had an idea of making them softer, better, and more efficient. This guy was helping to bring these ideas together. I'm talking about somebody who literally can take products and help people with ideas, literally bring them to life, and also help that inventor from start to finish. Oh yeah, things like trash cans too. Yep, the things we buy every single day, they're important. I'm talking about Inventus CEO, Lewis Foreman. This week's interview is with none other than Lewis Foreman. He is the CEO of Inventus. Yes, right here in Charlotte, North Carolina, a man who served on both the Bush and Obama administration on the U.S. Patent Office. This interview is one you do not want to miss. Take a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to say thank you for tuning in today to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Uh, today, I'm actually in a very, very unique space. You've got a chance to kind of see some of that through uh, the introduction of this, but um, who I'm sitting next to today is somebody who's um, dominating in the industry right here in Charlotte, North Carolina that a lot of people uh, don't really know about, but you know about it by everything that you see, touch and feel throughout every single day of your life. Uh, you might be familiar with the different toys that you grew up with. Um, 
different things that people use for uh, senior citizens. You might even be familiar with the different types of brands that are all around you that you've never paid attention to. Well, there's one gentleman here in the city of Charlotte that I've been honored to get a chance to actually interview today for your entertainment, but really for my pleasure, uh, to be able to learn about his whole world when it comes to um, his career. Um, author, uh, personal also inventor and somebody who's built a company for those who love to tinker. Um, I'm talking about the CEO and the founder of Inventus, Lewis Foreman. How are you doing today? I'm sir? doing great. Thank you for, for having me on your program. Absolutely. So I, I want to kind of start here because um, through everything that I've read about the company, about what you guys have and what you do, um, a couple of things stood out to me. Okay. One, um, as, as all of the products that you guys have helped to prototype, bring to market, I'm sure there's plenty of others that never met the market at all that sure. you, you try to do. I'm always curious in this invention space, how the heck did you even get your start here? What was the thing for you that said, this is what I want to do with my life? Yeah, well, uh, we're a well-kept secret here in Charlotte, first off. But um, this business, Inventus, was really an evolution of meeting an unmet need, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I've, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've, I've started a number of companies, started my first business in my fraternity room in college. Wow. But when, <laughs> uh, when I had an idea for a product or a service, I mm -hmm. would typically work with outside service companies to bring that product to market. I would hire design firms, engineering firms, marketing agencies, branding agencies, web designers, videographers. And what frustrated me as an entrepreneur is if the product wasn't successful, there were a lot of people to blame. Mm. No one wanted to be held accountable for success or failure. And so I thought, this is silly. I'm, I'm investing significant amounts of time and capital. Mm -hmm. I need someone to be held accountable for success or failure. And so I thought, why not bring all those in-house? And so in 2001, uh, I started Inventus. I started hiring really talented industrial designers and mechanical engineers and branding and marketing experts, bought this building and brought them all under one roof and said, we're going to be held accountable and we're going to tie our compensation to success. Wow. Wow. So walk us through the world of being an invent inventor. What, what are some of the, the challenges that some people don't realize? Because of course, you know, I'm a consumer. I go to a store and I just pick up a product. What I don't understand is all of the things that it took for somebody to even think about it and get it to a space where it might end up on a shelf. Walk us through kind of what's going on in an inventor's mind as they're thinking about how to get something to bear and how Inventus is helping to make that a reality for most inventors sure. out here. Well, you know, they say that necessity is the mother of invention. That's right. And so I think that inventing is sort of wired into our DNA. Mm -hmm. We're always looking at situations and saying, there's gotta be a better way to do it. The problem is, is that most people don't follow through with those ideas. Yeah, they, that's true. they spot <laughs> an obvious inefficiency in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. They may come up with a great solution, but spotting the solution and actually following through on the idea mm -hmm. is really what differentiates you know, the value proposition. You can come up with a great idea, but if you don't do something with the idea, you don't get financially rewarded for it. And so here at Inventus, we work with inventors, we work with entrepreneurs, but we work with large Fortune 500 companies as well to identify the problem, 
invent or create the solution, and then most importantly, to execute on that idea, to commercialize and monetize it. Wow. So um, let's talk about the first product that Inventus put their arms around yeah. and, and said, this is the one we're going to try to tackle. Talk, talk to us about wow, that. Wow, that's a long time ago. We've been doing this almost 19 years wow. now. So uh, we started in November of 2001. So it's been a long journey. And, and we've actually been involved in the development uh, of well over 2,000 consumer products and wow. medical devices. So to say you know, which one is my favorite uh, would be hard to, to say. But, <laughs> yeah. but one of our very early clients, uh, certainly within the first 12 months of existence was an orthopedic surgeon from Virginia who came to us with a problem and that is his patients had chronic knee pain, they had mm. overuse injuries, we're all getting older. Right. And what he was really looking for was help to develop a bracing system that would allow people to live an active lifestyle and avoid surgery. Mm. And some of the early work that we did uh, resulted in a portfolio of over a dozen patents, uh, a licensed product to a major orthopedic brace company, millions and millions of dollars for the inventor wow. uh, who came to us with the idea. And we still work with that client today. So it, wow. it's, it's just been a wonderful journey. And it just goes to show you that you know persistence is really important. Very interesting. Wow. So to have a longevity client like that has to be rewarding for you uh, as well. I want to kind of now talk about, you know, as you look at uh, 19 years and what you've been doing, but you've been curious probably most of your whole life around this this world and these ideas as you were as an inventor. I'm curious as to talk to us about what it's like when you went from I'm the tinkerer to I want to help other tinkerers and become the CEO because now I'm going to lead a company. What was that journey for you like as you kind of thought, no, I want to help the, the guy and gal get this thing to market yeah. and I'm going to lead the company that's going to help them. You know, I, I think it came back to something that I learned very early on in college in economics, you learn about supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And when there's demand for a product or a service, and when the market doesn't satisfy that demand, there's a business opportunity. Yeah. And that was really the foundation of the first business I started in my fraternity room, selling lacrosse equipment. I played lacrosse at the University of Illinois. We didn't have a local supplier. <laughs> so there's demand, there's no supply, business opportunity. Well, the same thing applied to Inventus. As an inventor, what I needed, what I demanded, was I needed accountability. I needed resources to be able to take my great idea and transform it into a marketable product, mm -hmm. but the market wasn't addressing that demand. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, much like what I learned in Econ 101, there's a market opportunity. And so because that supply didn't exist and the demand was there, I thought there should be a business opportunity here. And so I started it. And we didn't know whether we would have customers. I didn't know if there would be other people who were exactly like me. But we quickly realized that coming up with an idea is the easy part. Yeah. It's the follow through <laughs> and the execution that's really the challenge. Yeah. So, so, so then you build this company 19 years ago. You get started. You put the sign on the door. Right. And it's basically like, hey, if you build it, they'll come in, in some short form. But what I'm curious is, is when you stepped into this leadership role and when you decided to, to take more of the approach of really helping others who were in the same space you were in, what were some things that you kind of quickly learned 
on this journey because it's one thing to be the the person trying to do something as opposed to the person who's trying to lead an organization of people down a particular path. What did you learn kind of becoming a CEO? What were some of the things that you may have not ever learned unless you had become the leader of, of many? Sure. Well, fortunately, this wasn't my first company. So yeah. I've learned over the years with a variety of different businesses that I started and grew and sold how to become a better leader. But I think a lot of it comes down to having really great team members. Yeah. Uh, I don't even like to call them employees because the reality is, is we're a team here. And when we execute and when we play well, we deliver great results and mm -hmm. wins, not only for us as a company, but also for our, our clients. Absolutely. And so I think what's important today is that number one, you find the right people. You got to find people who have a real passion for what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you got to give them the tools that they need to be able to do their job. Um, you've got to make sure that they've got the right resources to be successful. And then finally, you got to get out of the way, right? Don't wow. bog down the process with all sorts of rules and, and processes. Give them the flexibility, the autonomy to innovate because that's what we are. We're an innovative company. And yeah. so not only do we do innovative work for our clients, but our culture has to be innovative as well. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up culture because, um, you know, one of the things that I'm always curious about is... It is the culture in organizations and the microcultures that get created as those organizations and companies become larger, right? And as a CEO, it's harder to can kind of control that the further away you are from what's happening on the front lines to you trying to execute and lead a company. What have you found have been some of the challenges as you started companies and sold companies and, and started new ones again? What are kind of some of the things that maybe the person on the outside doesn't recognize as some of the struggles that a CEO has to kind of consider as you are, as the company is growing and having to recognize there's some changes that happen in the culture. What are some things that maybe you've noticed along your journey with all of your companies? How much time do we have? <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of lessons yeah. uh, and, and being in business is a continuous learning process. You're always learning. You're learning about your industries, you're learning about the economy, uh, you're learning about your employees and the differences in different generations mm -hmm. because different you know, age group employees are different than, than previous generations right. of employees. But you also learn about adaptability. You've got to continuously evolve. And we live in a world today where it's truly disrupt or be disrupted. Yeah. That if you're sitting back and doing things the way you used to do it, it's just a matter of time before someone steps in and says, there's a better way to do it. Yeah. And so I, I think what we have to constantly do as leaders, uh, as entrepreneurs, as business people, is we have to be open to change because change is inevitable. It's going to happen. And the quicker you embrace it, the better your business is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you think about not only just the culture of a company, you mentioned kind of the hiring and the talent and, and somewhat of getting out of the way sometimes. Um, what has been one of the hardest things for, for Lewis to figure out that may have created a sense of awareness of, of yourself as you've done this with teammates over and over and over again. What are some things that you've learned about yourself that created a, a version of self-awareness for you? You know, I think you learn different things at different stages in mm. your career. Um, many entrepreneurs 
have a very hard time delegating responsibility. Okay. And it was certainly a problem that I had early on as an entrepreneur starting businesses because the entrepreneur feels this attachment to their business. It's their baby. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't want anyone else to hold it or care for it <laughs> right. because only a parent can do it you know, as well as we do. Right. Uh, yet the only way a business can really grow and scale is if you can delegate responsibility to others and give authority to other people. So you know, one of the early lessons as a leader was to delegate responsibility. It's why you hire good people, mm -hmm. right? If, if you're not hiring good people and if you don't trust them to kind of take the wheel and drive every once in a while, then, then you're doing a poor job as a leader in a business. Yeah. And then as you grow, you also have to kind of check your ego at the door because just because you started the business, just because you were the one who had the vision for the business, doesn't necessarily mean that your team can't help you kind of chart the, the course of the business and, yeah. and move it to the next level. Yeah. That, that's interesting that you brought that up because um, one of the things that I hear, a good friend of mine had a, had an awesome quote and he, he happened to say that... Um, the the one per two to two percent increase in engagement is where the most money is going to be made in your company. And there's a lot of companies out here today who struggle with keeping employees and team members engaged. It's a real problem. How would you say um, a, a CEO, if you were giving advice to another CEO, whether it's a small company or a Fortune 500, what would you say some of the things that you've learned about keeping teammates engaged, uh, even when it's kind of an ebb and flow of the season or it's kind of the mundane portion of work. What are some things that you've learned about engagement with yeah. team members? Well, I think you've got to provide a stimulating environment, right? Mm -hmm. And so if, if you have an environment where people are excited about the work they do, about the clients that they do work for, if they're excited about the people that they work with and they buy into the vision, then that's probably 80 or 90% you know, of, of the, the requirement. The rest of it really is the intangibles. It's finding the right people. Uh, it's knowing that, look, in a great environment, you know, especially when unemployment is low, mm -hmm. people are going to be transient. They're going to bounce around. Yeah. Uh, and for every person that you leave, it's an opportunity to bring someone else in new who can, who can possibly be a future rock star for your organization. You know, it was different in the... 90s, let's say, when unemployment was high and all of a sudden people were really worried about losing a job. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes you get some complacency there. And so it's always good to bring in some new blood. It, it, it kind of revives an organization, but it, it also comes down to finding the right people for the right job. Yeah, absolutely. So let's shift gears and I'll, I want to kind of talk about, um, you know, when you're when you're doing as many different companies as you've done, how many companies have you started in and kind of lost so track. Um, <laughs> there's been 10 businesses that, gotcha. that I actually started and created mm -hmm. and grew and either exited from or I'm still involved in. Uh, but, but we have so many other businesses that we've either taken equity in as part of our involvement or we've partnered with, with other entrepreneurs and, and you know own a piece of those businesses. So mm -hmm. we're very entrepreneurial. Awesome. We, we, we like starting businesses. We like growing businesses. Awesome. So when you think about um, just the, the not only just the culture of a company, but when you start even thinking about what does it mean to create longevity? How do you, you know, communicating mm -hmm. all the way down to the person who just walked in the door a week ago? You know, 
what are some things that you've learned over your career as a CEO to ensure that the right things are getting communicated mm -hmm. from you? Because as I'm sure you, as you're well aware, as the CEO, sometimes you could think and say something very small that sounds really big further down in the organization. How do you make sure that your your messaging gets communicated the right way throughout the, the layers of the organization? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's tough because you, know, you don't have the opportunity every single day, especially as your company gets large, yeah. to be able to share that vision with every single person within the company. Mm -hmm. um, when a company is smaller and it's a handful of people, you know, Every, every hand is on deck, you yeah. know, you're all in the boat rowing together. And so it's much easier to kind of share the vision and the direction that you're headed. Mm -hmm. There's gotta be a certain amount of trust, right? And as long as there's trust with leadership that they're heading in the right direction, that goes a long way to communicating that opportunity. And then part of it is, you know, just making sure that you know, when you say you're going to do something that you follow through with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the multi-generational aspect. Okay. So in this space, yeah. um, I, I am sure you have seen, um, you know, everyone from a, a seasoned baby boomer to come in with an idea to a, a young 19, 20 year old with a, with a, with a interesting yeah, actually idea. younger. So. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. What have you noticed are, are, are the differences that you've seen between you know how boomers have approached things in the in the invention world and what you know a a, a millennial and emerging talent might have because one of the interesting things is is that it's well documented digital natives kind of have a very unique advantage when it comes from conception to reality versus those who might have been baby boomers who were young and had an idea they really had to work a different way to get something to market. What are just some of the things that you notice in this space with the differences of the generation? Yeah, I, I think that innovation is completely age agnostic. Yeah. I, I don't think that age has any factor whatsoever in whether or not someone is innovative. Okay. It's that the innovations are different based on the age. Ah, so, okay. so someone who maybe in their 70s or 80s is probably going to tackle and come up with a problem or a solution to a problem that is more to their generation than a 17, 18, 19 year old millennial yeah. who's trying to solve a problem that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we all suffer from some sort of pain. It could be a literal pain, like, mm -hmm. like my knee hurts, uh, or it could be a pain, an inconvenience that we're trying to solve. And by nature, we're always coming up with solutions. And whether that solution is, you know, cereal boxes and duct tape, or that solution is a really nice 3D printed, mm -hmm. you know, prototype, people are always looking for ways to solve problems. And so younger inventors, younger, you know, innovators approach problems that are more to their needs mm -hmm. than older demographics or, you know, sometimes, you know, you have a, a young person invent something that helps their parents or, or their grandparents. Yeah. But what I love and, and what keeps me enthusiastic about what I do is that every day we see something new. Very every cool. day someone is solving a problem that people suffer from and they're coming at it with a solution that is just remarkable. Interesting. So let's talk about some of these inventions that, that you've got a chance to, to see and get excited about. I, I'm, I'm curious. Tell me about, you know an invention that kind of came across your desk one day that you were like, wow, this is a this is a big deal. What's one of those 
kind of moments. I'm sure you got many. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as I mentioned, we, we've done over 2,000 consumer yeah. products and medical devices. So there's far too many to to you know start to rattle off. Um, and the reality is, is that you know, if I pick a couple, it's kind of unfair to all the others. <laughs> but but what I what I love is just the the creativity that's brought to the process. Because yeah, in sure. many cases, what the inventor or the client brings here is a solution. But what my team here does is they're able to take that and take it to another level. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once we've identified the problem. We've got such a talented group of industrial designers and mechanical engineers and prototyping experts, and then all the branding and the marketing and the digital marketing people who are not only able to transform the idea into a product, but then launch that product into the marketplace. And it's that seamless approach from kind of solution to commercialization yeah. that unlocks all the value in the product. That, that is so cool. So let's talk about the future. It's 2020 now. Where do you see Inventus in the next 10, 20 years? What, what is your vision for what this company is doing, what type of value it's bringing to the market? Yeah, you know, doing anything for 18 years is a long time, yeah. you know, especially in, in today's world where, you know, you, it's difficult to stay relevant for, you know, even a few years. Right, absolutely. We have to continuously evolve. Mm -hmm. We have to continuously look to deliver new value to the marketplace. And some of that was through crowdfunding. So when we started this company 18 years ago, the path from idea to market required a significant amount of risk. You had to make a product, you had to sell it to retailers, mm -hmm. you had to cross your fingers and hope that product sold. <laughs> yeah. And if it didn't, you had a significant loss. Mm -hmm. Today, through crowdfunding, so platforms like Indiegogo or Kickstarter, you can hit the pause button halfway in there, get a product to the prototype level, put it out there in front of consumers, and let them validate the demand with their credit cards. Yeah. And so Very before true. you commit to manufacturing and inventory, you can really take the pulse of the consumer and say, is this something that you truly want? And prove it by buying it before I've actually made it. Yeah. And so bringing in that tool, that resource, and becoming a leader, you know, we're probably the largest crowdfunding agency in the world, has enabled us to mitigate some of the risk in the process for our customers, raise hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for our clients, and really improve the likelihood of success for their campaigns. That you know, that that's an interesting process that you, you just you just narrated because I, I think that again, as a consumer, we just go and buy it. We have right. no idea what you know the backstory, the journey. I'm sure that if uh, if we all walked into a Target and was able to stand with the person who actually created that thing that's on the shelf, right? We'd be surprised at the story and the things that kind of came up in those challenges. Um, let's talk about the global aspect of, of this because um, there are many things that. Uh, can get in the way uh, supply of a particular material, a uh, finding the right space and time for something to come mm -hmm. to market. Um, which market around the world does this actually serve? Yeah. It might not be one, it might be another. How do you guys tackle some of the global issues when it comes to bringing something to bear? Because I'm sure you're having to touch a lot of different aspects of a product yeah. 
that sometimes takes you outside of the United States. It takes you to other places and you have to figure out, all right, well, how do we solve this? And your team is probably doing an amazing job for that. But just give us an idea of what that looks like when you have products that are more of an international mm -hmm. type of solve versus something that might, might be yeah. localized. Well, first off, you're showing your age because you said you walk into Target and you look at products <laughs> because you know, your generation probably goes into stores still, but but the younger generation buys everything online. That's right, right? everything online. And so they're less loyal to the brands that you and I grew up mm -hmm. with, and they're more about the experience yeah. and the story behind the product. Yeah. And so whereas we would walk into a store and we would be exposed to maybe three or four different brands, they're going online and seeing hundreds, if not thousands of versions of a product, and they're buying into the story. Yeah. They're buying based on the transparency of the reviews. So they're seeing what their friends and other people say about a product. That's right, yeah. And they're willing to try brands that they've never heard of before because there's zero risk. It used to be we bought the brands we grew up with because the brand was a promise. That's it was right. A promise of yeah. quality and consistency. If it didn't live up to expectations, you know, shame on the brand. Yeah. But today, younger consumers will buy a product they've never heard of because they know the retailer will take it back. And so if they buy it on Amazon or they buy it off of a website or if they buy it at some other dot com, they can always return it. So the world is now global. E-commerce platforms are open to vendors from all over the world. Yeah, that's true. And so it's not just the products that you find at your local store, but it's it's vendors from all over the world who are now selling on global marketplaces like Amazon, for example. Mm -hmm. And as a result, companies and manufacturers have to be much more innovative. They have to constantly be coming up with a new and improved version of their product better than what they sold the day before because otherwise they run the risk that when you go looking for a product, you'll find something that works better. That's right, yeah. So so it is a different world. The rules keep changing. But the wonderful thing about all of this is it levels the playing field for the entrepreneur. Yes. So the entrepreneur that hasn't been in the industry for 20 years, that doesn't have a recognized brand, can compete with the biggest company in the space by just being more innovative. Very interesting. And I'm glad you brought up social media because now today more than ever, Yes, if you still watch television, there's commercials. But for the majority of most people, it's their mobile device. That's everything, transactions, their entertainment, everything, right? And on a lot of social media platforms today, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you know, anything, TikTok, anything they're using, commercials have taken over a lot of these platforms. But it's a good opportunity for an inventor who might have a product. How are you guys kind of tackling and looking at the social media aspect of the marketing of some of these products that you guys come to bear and 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 what are some things that maybe an inventor who might be watching this need to consider when it comes to that 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 lane of social media and and allowing people to really be able to see and touch their sure. product yeah it's a huge part of our business our digital marketing team is always looking at ways to put products in front of the right consumers and so in the old days where you just put something in a newspaper or you blast it on TV, that may have been effective then, but now you've got to really pinpoint the message to the yeah. target market because you know marketing can be very expensive and it can be incredibly wasteful if you're sending the message to the wrong audience. Mm -hmm. And so we're very cognizant of who the customers are, where do they socialize, where do they get their news, where do they get their social media from, and we've got to inject 
those products into that stream, but do it in a way that isn't obtrusive. Yeah. yeah. And where they don't, you know, kind of, um, I guess, penalize you or punish you for invading their space. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're seeing a lot more integration of products into content, mm -hmm. you know, where products are being built into either TV shows or social media feeds. The ability to go from something that you see online to a purchase is becoming faster it and sure more is. seamless. Yeah. And so you're always evolving with technology and, and how it advances. I'm curious on your part as a leader, when you think about all of the different types of talent that you've had come through Inventus, uh, who've probably even gone on to do some incredible things themselves. What is it that you look for when, you, when you're looking for emerging talent, when you're looking for to bring something in? Obviously, you have a need for a particular role to be filled, but what is it about the, the person or what they bring to the table that says this person has a unique uh, property for, for us that could be a real value add here at the company? How do you go about that process when you're looking at new talent to bring into this into this company? Yeah, so I'll be honest with you, I don't hire anybody. Ah. So I don't make any of the decisions as to who we hire in this company. Okay. I let my team make those decisions because ultimately, they're going to be working with these individuals ah. that they hire, okay. uh, and I want to make sure that the culture is right. So we yeah. have you know, a pretty long uh, interview process, dating process, where the team will really spend a lot of time with these prospective new employees mm -hmm. and make sure that they're a good fit for the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and typically I meet them after they're already hired. Wow. So, um, <laughs> you know, I wish I could say that I'm the one who's spotting the great talent out there, yeah. that I find the diamond in the rough and I bring them in and polish them and make them sparkle. <laughs> right. uh, but all the credit goes to goes to my team here. Interesting. Uh, I want them to find, find their coworkers. Which means you've done a very good job of letting go of some of the decision making. It goes back to that delegation. <laughs> That's right. So yeah. early on, I did have to hire the people. Yeah. Uh, because when you have no one, someone's got to hire them. <laughs> uh, but the reality is, is that I think I, and I don't know if it's that I'm a bad judge of character or it's just that I get uh, wrapped up in, in what the person can be versus who they really are. Uh, I'd rather let my employees, you know, make that, that uh, decision. I like that. So, um, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, thinking of this thing as, as economies when it comes to bringing something to bear and and some of the cultural aspects that you look at and the things that you're doing with your company. When you look at what's happening, uh, even for this city, the city of Charlotte, right? Mm -hmm. um, I always look at uh, different CEOs who are doing unique things like what you're doing here. And sometimes a lot of people don't know that these types of things exist. What makes Charlotte right for a company like yours? Well, there's a, a number of reasons why you know we chose Charlotte. Uh, you know, first off, I, I moved here initially because I started a NASCAR apparel business, so Charlotte uh. was a logical <laughs> place if you were going to be in sure. stock car racing. Sure. Um, but after selling that business, I could have moved anywhere, and my family and I decided to stay here in Charlotte because it's a great climate, the people are wonderful the airport is exceptional. I mean, the fact that you can jump on a plane and fly pretty much nonstop anywhere yeah, in the United States true. and to quite a few international destinations is a huge plus. And the cost of living is very reasonable. Finding good talent in Charlotte is not difficult. 
and attracting people and getting them to move to Charlotte is even easier. Ah, okay. So there's, there's some value add even if you find talent from away from here. Yeah, you know, we've uh, we've recruited a number of people over the years, and once they come here and they see what Charlotte is, they yeah. want to stay. Yeah. So I'm curious as to your um, how do you bring value to the larger industries that are here, right? So there's of course the financial industry, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I am sure that in your space, you've run across a lot of those executives from time to time, depending on what events and different things that you might fall into, or you meet other companies like Red Hat or uh, Red Ventures and some of the other companies kind of come here and kind of grown. What, what do you find that is, is making Charlotte so attractive to either startup companies who've kind of gone really big or just the larger institutions? What would you say it is about Charlotte more than just maybe the talent and the cost of living, but what do you think makes people really go, Charlotte might be that place to go to? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we try to be a very good corporate citizen, and I've been here now 23 years. And so when I first moved to Charlotte 23 years ago and told people that I was an entrepreneur, they kind of looked at me a little strange. Uh, <laughs> I feel like they took pity on me uh, because I didn't have a job with a major financial institution sure, or sure. energy company. Sure. But Entrepreneurs, I think, are gaining more respect in this city. Yeah. Um, 23 years ago, maybe not as much. Today, entrepreneurship is is really a pillar that supports job growth yeah. here in Charlotte. And we try to support that through a number of different initiatives. Part of that is teaching. Uh, I teach entrepreneurship at Johnson Wells, nice. at the McCall School at Queens. Um, I taught classes at CPCC for years and years and years. And so if you can share some of the wisdom, you're preparing kind of the future leaders, the future entrepreneurs to, to be able to keep that momentum going. And then we also are just very open with our time, um, whether it's you know third grade classes that come and tour the facility, then <laughs> nice. you kind of inspire them yeah. you know, to be you know thought leaders and, and, and tinkers to you know just being available uh, to, to serve on you know various local boards and organizations, you, you've got to give something back and in some cases you got to pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. So last couple of questions here before we wrap up. What keeps Lewis up at night? Well, now that my kids are out of the house, it's not that. <laughs> um, what keeps me up at night? You know, I think that I have this, um, uh, I guess it really comes down to that. It's impatience. Um, okay. I, I see tremendous opportunity out there. I want it to happen faster, mm. and I'd love for it to to accelerate. But at the same time, you got to realize that you got to embrace the moment as well. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think we've built a great platform. Uh, I'm really proud not only of the team that we built here at Inventus, but also of all the companies that we've played a role in helping launch, not only here in Charlotte but really around the country. And those successes hopefully will, you know, lead to more and more successes for others in the future. Awesome. Good deal. Last question. Uh, when you think of what you brought and the legacy that you're building throughout the world of invention and what you've been able to um, allow to expose people to, whether they became teammates, whether they were your clients, or the relationships you've been able to build, what's kind of the lasting legacy you're personally looking to leave uh, as you think about 
um, all the things that you've been able to put your hands on? Yeah, you know, I think uh, what what makes me proud is the fact that we've played a role in the innovation process. Okay. Uh, and whether it's at the U.S. Patent Office where we've helped, you know, craft legislation, whether it's through inventor organizations where we've inspired and educated, whether it's through the TV show Everyday Edison's that we produced and won a couple Emmys for and inspired people to be creative, uh, or it may just be the entrepreneurs that we've either helped launch business or we've convinced them that, you know what, now's not the right time to do it. Mm. But we've played a small role in a number of different things that hopefully, you know, made a difference. Awesome, good deal. Well, Lewis, Thank you for your time. We really pleasure. appreciate it. And thank you for what you're doing here in the city of Charlotte. So if you're interested in learning more about what Inventus does, what they provide, and how they're helping many people across, not only just here in this region and around the country, you can find the website below. Thank you guys for watching. This has been another edition of High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. And we appreciate you guys. And we'll see you in the next episode. Hey, thank you so much for watching. If you really enjoyed this episode and some of the conversations that we talked about feel free to reach out to us you can find us on instagram facebook and or you can find me on linkedin as well also if you would like to get into more conversations around things like what we talked about multi-generational topics if maybe inside of your company you would like someone to kind of help you solve some of the issues of communication between multi-generational talent. Maybe as an executive, you're looking for an opportunity to learn from those emerging talent and maybe also to ensure that information is being shared across your organization. I'd love to be able to help you out with that as well. Feel free to reach out. We'd love to be able to see how we can help your company continue to move things forward. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.